welcome to this podcast, which forms part of our refinancing toolkit series. Today, we're going to look at the types of issues directors should be turning their minds to when their company starts to face financial difficulty and it has significant amounts of debt on its balance sheet. I'm joined by Tina Lockwood, who's a partner in our restructuring team, by Elliot Beard, who's one of our banking partners, and by Piers Summerfield, who's a partner in our debt capital markets team. So just kicking off the discussion, Tina, what's the commercial background at play here? Oh, hi, Caroline. Yes. Um, so recent news reports point to British business confidence being considerably worse than expected in January. In fact, it hit a two-year low, which raised fears that UK is heading towards a deep recession. The cost of living crisis, high interest rates are both set to persist, um, and they're quickening the pace of economic decline. Um, unsurprisingly, this is also having an impact on the uptick in formal insolvencies. I think just to give you a few statistics, Insolvency service showed that for December 2022, the number of company insolvencies was 32% higher than in the same month in 2021 and 76% higher than the number registered in the three years previous to that. That primarily was driven by an increase in the number of compulsory liquidations and creditor voluntary liquidations. I think ultimately more companies in Britain are going bust. And when companies are in financial difficulty, directors need to look down the track and do all they can to best position themselves and their businesses to weather the storm and emerge from the other side. That sounds like good advice then, Tina. And yet, what sort of things can corporates do to best position themselves in in the right way? Yeah, so there are a number of things. Um, Companies in financial difficulty tend to need access to more cash and often look to factoring in an invoice discounting. And that's where a corporate sells um, debts owed to it to a finance company and sales at a discount for cash. So we're giving the company immediate access to working capital. Um, a key issue for corporates is who is liable where the customer doesn't pay the debt. So who takes a credit risk? Um, where the finance company takes a risk, the corporate can move the debt on its balance sheets, but the finance company's fees will typically be higher given its increased risk. Other than improving access to cash, corporates should be carefully diligencing their debt docs, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, um, and, you know, re- review all your finance documents, carry out um, a default analysis. Um, we would say that, but you know, the right advice is to get experienced lawyers involved early to help you. Um, is the company in default in any way? Uh, even minor things like late delivery of information or missed notifications can lead to a default, giving creditors the right to accelerate the debt. Check whether any subsisting defaults can be remedied by your action, and if so, take that action. But it may be that any defaults will be continuing unless they're actively waived by a particular majority of creditors. If that's the case, then liaise with creditors and the agent and get those waivers in place. Um, corporates in a financial difficulty must work really hard not to give creditors a chance to pull the debt. And you mentioned getting waivers in place, which is of course crucial. That process is typically more involved where, where bonds are involved. So while bond debt tends to involve less than the way of covenants than bank debt, it's worth keeping a careful eye on terms making sure that enough time is left for bondholder consent processes, processes where those are needed. Companies also need to be very mindful of their disclosure obligations, particularly where they have listed ones. And Tina, as I understand it, where a company is in a more perilous state, quite often they'll seek to negotiate a standstill agreement. So I understand that as a temporary agreement with all its creditors, which prevents the creditors from taking enforcement action for a period of time to give the company time to agree and implement a restructuring plan and and, and, and a runway to bring in any new equity. Yeah, Piers, that's right. I think during 
a standstill period, creditors would typically agree to keep funding all commitments at pre-standstill levels. And standstill agreements are good as they bind all creditors who have the right to demand immediate repayment of their debt and they keep the parties out of court, so saving time and money. They also stop individual creditors from going rogue um, and acting unilaterally, triggering a disordered, damaging domino effect which could tip the company into insolvency. I think a key principle here is that creditors are to be treated equally, sharing fairly in any upside and downside of a restructuring. And corporates always need to bear that in mind. Yes, so from what you've said before, it's right, isn't it? The creditors usually agree to restructure the debt where they believe there's inherent value in the business and believe in the company's medium-term business plan, but feel that the company can't sustain the current debt burden going forwards. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely right. Creditors will be reluctant to lock in loss by allowing a company to enter an insolvency process where there's a chance they can restructure the debt, cover 100% of their investment. Um, and one of the things I wanted to pick up on today was debt directly swaps. Um, they're a key restructuring tool uh, in this context. Essentially, it's where a lender converts a portion of its debt into shares of the company, with the creditors becoming a shareholder of the company in consequence. Um, there are a whole host of issues tied up in this, and corporates would be well advised to understand the legal and accounting issues, in fact, while ahead of time. Um, this route can be as simple as swapping debt for a class of shares, and as complex as using prepack administration. Uh, key things for corporates to push on, I suppose, are maximizing the amount of debt that is swapped for shares, limiting the amount of total equity that's issued to creditors, um, and limiting banks' rights regarding voting disposals and dividends. Yeah, you're right. I mean, debt for equity stop swaps are certainly a useful tool. And corporates should bear in mind they'll need a significant proportion of creditors and shareholders to support them. And timing around those consents and the processes to obtain those consents will need to be built into the wider restructuring timetable. And if the debt is a public company or the bonds are listed on the London Stock Exchange's main market, the provisions of the takeover code may apply to the acquisition of the shares, which would, of course, add an extra level of complexity to be navigated. Gosh, there's a lot to think about there. But what about personal liability for directors in all of this? Listeners will be interested in that. So, Tina, can you explain what the position is there? Yes, Caroline. So clearly directors have legal and regulatory responsibilities. They've got to get the important decisions right and they can be disqualified if they don't. And if a company goes into administration or liquidation, the court could order its directors to contribute personally to the company's debts if it decides that the directors continue to trade, knowing that the company had no reasonable prospect of avoiding an insolvent liquidation and that they fail to take every step to minimise losses to company creditors. The types of actions directors really need to watch out for include wrongful trading, fraudulent trading, misfeasance, entering into transaction at an undervalue and preferences. These aren't straightforward issues and knowing the points and how to navigate this area from a commercial perspective is absolutely key and can be very tricky. Boards should get legal advice at an early stage so that directors know the tests and how they should act in the event that their business starts to struggle. Yeah, I mean, knowing these tests for things like local trading is important, isn't it? And directors mustn't stop trading too early or too late. It's all very technical and based on the interaction of the law and commercial reality. Um, but what about some practical tips, Tina? What, what's best practice for directors? Yeah, that's a great point, Elliot. So I think directors might, for example, hold more frequent board meetings um, informed by up-to-date, accurate cash flow information, and other relevant um, financial information. 
they must ask a minute two essential questions, I think, at every board meeting. So does a past solvency exist? And is it better for creditors that the company continues to trade or enter insolvency? They need to ensure appropriate directors and officers' insurance policies are in place and keep an empirical record of all discussions and events as they're taking place, which can be looked back on if ever needed. I think they need also to have a handle on essential information that will assist with any contingency planning that may need to be undertaken and undertaken quickly. For example, preparing a group structure chart that's overlaid with security and financing, something that they can do with the aid of their, their legal advisors. And um, they could have details of what each group company does, where employees sit, what intercompany liabilities there are. These are. This is all essential information and valuable time can be saved if directors aren't from where it is. I think most importantly though, Elliot, um, I will say it again, take professional advice as early as possible if you don't want to be wrong-footed by any events. And that's really helpful, everyone. Uh, we've run out of time, but if you've got any questions coming out of the podcast, please contact one of us. And thank you again for listening.